Well, let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. The last time we were together, we took a look at Matthew chapter 1. So today we'll go ahead and study on through Matthew chapter 2. So here in Matthew chapter 2, and starting in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So, as I read those first two verses there, immediately for me, some questions arise as I was studying this. That One would be, what made these men wise? And in their wisdom, what made them know that just because they saw a new star in the sky, that that meant that the king of the Jews was born? Now, one thing we know for sure is that the fact that they wanted to worship this newborn king did indeed make them very wise because we know from the book of Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So any person that fears the Lord, reverences the Lord, and seeks a knowledge of the Lord will be considered a wise person because that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom all begins, right? So to fear the Lord, to reverence the Lord, excuse me, to fear the Lord is to reverence the Lord, and to reverence the Lord is to worship the Lord. So again, for this reason alone, these men were wise. The The first question we can ask ourselves this morning is, are we wise? Asking ourselves that as we think about this, are we wise? That is, do we truly reverence the Lord with our lives, with the way that we live, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? These men came a long distance to seek out the Christ, the newborn king. How far do we go in our seeking of the Lord? How much effort do we put forth? Do we put all that we have into that? How badly do we want to worship Him? How much will we put into it? Are we willing to sacrifice all to worship Him or just a little bit, right? So again, for the very fact that they sought to worship Jesus, these men were wise. Now, if we understand anything about royalty, that is a royal royal family, right? We know that No child is born a king. They are first a prince and eventually become king. This, however, was not the case with Jesus. He was born king of the Jews, as it says here. He was to be worshipped and honored and reverenced right from his birth. Now, when it comes to wise men, there, to these wise men here that we read about, there are many misconceptions and legends about them. First of all, they were not kings, as we might sing about 
in our Christmas song, like we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel afar. Well, they were not kings. As a matter of fact, the Bible never says that there were three of them either, right? There could have been 12 of them, for all we know, or there could have been many more, right? However, what we can take from what is written is that they did, however, seem to be astronomers, That is, that they did study the night sky. They had come to notice something different in the nighttime sky. They saw a new star. But why did that make them think that a king was born? Why would they they think that? Or where did they get that knowledge to think, huh, where is this king that is born, right? Well, I want you to go ahead and mark this page in your Bibles. And I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Go ahead and take a moment uh, to find that. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and let's start reading down in verse 20. Here we will see the book of Daniel speaking prophetically regarding the city of Jerusalem. And starting in verse 20, Daniel says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Again, in our study here of the book of Matthew, we see the appearance of Gabriel, the angel, right? Now, why do I say again? Well, if you remember the last time that we gathered, we took a look actually at Luke chapter 1, and we saw where this same angel, Gabriel, had appeared to Mary to inform her of what was about to be. She would be with child. And here in the book of Daniel, here's Gabriel again, almost 500 years before he appeared to Mary. He appeared to Daniel to give him a prophecy. And speaking of Gabriel, Daniel says in verse 22, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Okay, so now Gabriel is going to dive into it here with Daniel. Now remember, because I'm going to go off here a little bit. I I want you to follow me here on this. I'm asking the question, how did the wise men know that this was the time that a king was born just because they saw a star. 
What other information might they have had? How did they know to go to Jerusalem to find this newborn king? Okay, I want to remind you of that again, because I'm going to kind of take you on a little rabbit trail, but it all ties together here. So Daniel, uh, Gabriel speaking to Daniel, verse 24, 70 weeks, he says, are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So this is big news from Gabriel. Something big is happening on into the future, and he's revealing it to Daniel because Daniel is a man of God who loves God, who was beloved by God. And, and, and Gabriel's revealing this to him. And the first thing we need to understand here in verse 22 is that that word weeks that we see there, you see the word weeks, right? In, is in the Hebrew, a word that actually means seven, okay? So we can then understand what Gabriel is saying here to be that 70 sevens are being determined for the Jews and the holy city, Jerusalem. There will be an end to sin, is what's being prophesied here. There will be reconciliation for iniquity, and there will be everlasting righteousness that will be established at the end of these 70 sevens. Okay, remember, weeks means seven, so 70 sevens. And then if we consider the weeks, right, as seven, and the sevens to be years, we multiply that 70 times seven, and we end up with 490 years, okay? So that's what we can get out of what this prophecy is saying. 490 years into the future, something's going to happen that's going to put an end to sin, that's going to change everything, okay? So why, though, can we consider the sevens to represent years? Well, here in chapter 9, what Daniel was actually doing while he's sitting there and praying, and the angel's coming and appearing to him, what he's actually doing was reading from the book of Jeremiah. Daniel was reading from the book of Jeremiah. If you look back now with me at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, go ahead back to verse 1 of Daniel chapter 9. So right here in this same chapter, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahurusus, or I'm messing that name up, but you can go ahead and say it today, <laughs> of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. That's why I said he was reading Jeremiah. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel's reading about these 70 years, right? And he, he's coming to a startling conclusion here. 
something that's really going to rock Daniel's world today. And that is that, as he reads this, that is, that is that the 70 years that Jeremiah spoke of about the desolations of Jerusalem was about to real quickly come to an end. And Daniel got serious about this. And in verse 3, we see that he set his face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he's pouring everything into this. He's fasting. He's crying out to God. Wow, this 70 years is up that Jeremiah spoke of. And he's crying out in repentance now for not only himself, but for his people. And I encourage you to read, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of Daniel here, but I encourage you to read this chapter later with all of this in mind, Daniel chapter 9. But I simply wanted to point out to you that 70 years had been accomplished at the time of Daniel here in chapter 9, and that there was about to be a new period of time beginning. And this is why Gabriel's showing up to tell Daniel something new. There's a new period of time this 490 years, a new, prophet, a new prophecy was being made. And this period of time would not just be 70 years that Daniel's reading about here in Jeremiah, but rather it's going to be the 70 years times seven. That's what Gabriel shows up to tell Daniel, right? He's now telling them it's going to be, there's a 490 year period that I'm prophesying to you about, okay? And then what's going to happen? At the end of that 490 years, there's going to be a big event. Something big is going to happen. What is it? There's going to be a solution to sin, an end to sin. There will be a reconciliation for iniquity and an everlasting righteousness will make an entrance entrance because someone will be anointed and that someone will be the most holy one. And Gabriel's saying 490 years from now, this is going to take place. Of course, we know today that Jesus Christ is the anointed, the most holy. But again, Gabriel is letting Daniel know that there's a new timeline beginning. Yeah, you're reading, Daniel, about the end, and you're right, Daniel. This is it. This is the end of that 70 years. We're at that time. It's time to repent. It's time to get serious, right? For 70 years, Judah was in captivity. The Jews were in captivity, okay? That time was coming to an end, and now Gabriel is showing Daniel that it's almost time for Jerusalem to be restored, right? Because remember, for the last 70 years, Jerusalem had been desolate, and the desolation was coming to an end, and Jerusalem would be restored. So in verse 25, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince. So keep that in mind, right? So when that command comes out, Daniel, that says it's time to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, when that command is given, from that period of time all the way till the time of the Messiah comes. Now remember, they're waiting for the Messiah, okay? All the way till that period of time, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, 
even in troublesome times. So the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, again, knowing that the word weeks there actually speaks of years, refers to 483 years. So that's not the total, that's not, that's only 69, right? 62 and 7. We're talking about 70, right? 70 times 7, we're talking about 490, but this is falling short what it's talking about here, that from the time they give the command to rebuild Jerusalem till the prince comes, the till the Messiah comes, right? There's going to be 483 years. So we come to that conclusion by adding 7 to 62, giving us 69, and then multiplying the 69 by 7, coming up with the 480 years. So that's 483 years of the 490 years of the 77s. Now, why am I, I'm going to remind you again, why am I giving you all this math? Why am I pointing this out to you? Because I'm wondering, how did the wise men know the time that Jesus was born? Okay? So Gabriel's telling Daniel that there will be 483 years until the coming of the Messiah. So keep that in mind. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now, let's pause right there and let me tell you that those words cut off there mean killed. The Messiah will be killed. Gabriel's telling Daniel all these years before. Right? Verse 26 continues, but not for himself. So, and of course, we know that Jesus was killed not due to any fault of his own. He was killed for our sin. He died for us, right? For our sin. And the people of the prince, it says, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations of the war desolations are determined. Now, what might the angel Gabriel be talking about here? Well, there's many, many different opinions on all of this, right? But some years after the death of Jesus, remember, Gabriel just told him Messiah will be cut off, right? Jesus was killed. Well, some years after the death of Jesus, history speaks of a time when in 66 AD, the Jews of the region of Judea rebelled against the Romans who were their masters at that time. So the Romans were over the Jews at that time. And some of the Jews of Judea rebelled against the Romans during that time. The emperor during that time was a man named Nero. And he commanded his top general, Vespasian, to put an end to all this rebellion. Stop this rebellion. Get out there and get it under control. But this war actually took a couple of years for the Romans to get things under control. And by then, the emperor of Rome, Nero, was dead. He had died. Vespasian, Nero's formal, former general, right, who he had commanded to go out and put a stop to this, Vespasian became emperor. emperor. Vespasian had a son named Titus, and Titus then became the general of the army. Titus led the army, 
that finished the battle against the Jews, the rebellion, the one that were, was rebellion against the Romans, right? And in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, the temple, were destroyed by the Romans, as we read about here in verse 26, another prophecy fulfilled, right? And the man that led the way was the emperor, the emperor's son, Vespasian's son, Titus. What is an emperor's son? What is a king's son? He is a prince, just as Gabriel prophesied too. This prince will come and do this, okay? That was Titus. So what am I getting at with all of this here this morning? Well, again, we're talking about the wise men, right? What made them wise? And how did they know this new star in the sky meant that Messiah was born? Well, they were wise enough to do the math and wise enough to see that it all added up. You see, in 445 BC, a man named Nehemiah would go to a king named Artaxerxes and he would request to be able to begin to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes would commission that and tell him to do so. He would give that decree. Artaxerxes would say, go build the wall. So that would start the timeline that we see back there in verse 25 to restore and build Jerusalem. So they know, okay, that's when the timeline began because that's when the decree went out. So the wise men can look back and say, okay, in 445 B.C., we see that Nehemiah was commissioned to build the wall, right? They would know all this from the book of Numbers in chapter 4 and verse 33. It also states in Numbers 4, 33, it states that a man had to be 33 years old, or excuse me, 30 years old to enter into the priesthood, into the service, right, in the temple, service in the sanctuary, So Jesus was 30 years old when he entered into his earthly ministry, right? In order to be a faithful priest, it says in 1 Samuel 2.35 that God would raise up a faithful priest to be his anointed one. So again, the wise men are wise. They study the scriptures. They have all of this information, right? So They would then take all the math together, add 483 years to the time in 445 B.C. when Jerusalem began to be restored and know that at the time of the Messiah, they would know that the time the Messiah would come on the scene, they would just then subtract 30 years, which was how old a new priest had to be, right? They would subtract 30 years. And then the wise men could know that they were living in the time that the Messiah would be born. So it's, it's all in the math, right? It's all there. It's all in the book. It's all prophesied. Prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled in the Bible. And they could read the book of Micah as well. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. So they could read that in Micah as well. Hey, he's going to come out of Bethlehem. He's going to be born there, and he's going to be the everlasting king. Right? So 
this would mean to them that the everlasting one, the King of Kings, would be born in Bethlehem. They would then see the new star in the sky. They'd put it all together. It'd make perfect sense. We got the math. We knew this is the time. There's the new star. We're headed for Jerusalem. We're going to go see where is this king that has finally been born. The one prophesied of in all the books. The one that we see was coming that, that Gabriel told Daniel about, that Micah talked about, that First Samuel talks about, right? So when they finally did make it to Jerusalem, it was not the same night that Jesus was born. This is another misconception they didn't that we have today, right? If we see a manger scene today, it has the baby in there when Mary and the manger and then the, the wise men, right? Well, they weren't there on that night. It took them a long time to get there. And, and I'll show you that here in just a little bit. But they weren't out back of the inn in the stable, as we see in our manger scenes. After they had saw his star in the sky, they then began the journey to Jerusalem, and it most likely took them several months to get there. So it's kind of good to just keep in mind that the stories that we have on this earth today about Jesus Christ may not always line up with what we see in the pages of the Scripture, though they do seem to get most of the story correct, right? I'm only pointing out these things to you here so that you can know that it's, in, that it's very important to read and to deeply study the Bible and not just base your faith on everything that you hear or, or the things you read outside of the Word of God and don't base your faith on religious traditions, okay? Base, we base our faith on the Word of God alone. So, I hope all of this has made some sense to you thus far, but let's flip back now to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We know that Jesus has been born. Some time had gone by, and here are these wise men now on the scene, and they have truly come to worship the newborn king. Then verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now that word troubled there speaks of being disturbed in your mind, right? That's what that, the Greek word there is. It means to be disturbed in your mind. What's going on here? Is the Messiah really here? What is it that these wise men know? Do they really know something? What's all this stir and commotion? Why are they showing up like this? Right? There was a stir about the city, and Herod may be wondering, what's going to happen to my kingdom ship? These guys are showing up saying, King of the Jews is born. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family or whatever? Right? They're troubled by all of this, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4 And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. So now, all of a sudden, Herod is interested in what the Word of God says. He wants to know, what does the Scripture say about this? Right? I think the wise men, however many of them there were, they did the wise thing by checking in with Herod first. They didn't just go and show up in Bethlehem. 
which was under Herod's control and caused a commotion, they went to Herod first, right? They came to him first. And then Herod then inquired of those that knew the scriptures and found out some info from the people that knew the scriptures. In verse 30, or I'm sorry, sorry, verse 5. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, they're answering his question, where is he to be born? Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus, is it, thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, that's the scripture that I was quoting to you earlier from Micah chapter 5. Then Herod, verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So Herod's now interested in the math as well, right? right? Is this really the time? Is this the time of the Messiah? Is he here? And he, verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem. He sent in the wise men to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully for the young child. Now, notice that they are referring to Jesus here as a young child, right? Not as a baby. Okay, so again, he's, Jesus has grown up a little bit by the time these wise men have got here. It took them several months to get there. We don't even know how many months, but it took them a long time to get there. Herod continues and says, And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, Herod is a big, stinking, evil liar here in what he says, right? Verse 9, When they heard the king they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, of course, it goes without saying that all of this is extremely miraculous, right? Extremely awesome to say the least. It all added up and it was all right on time. And this star that the wise men called his star, Speaking of Jesus, his star, right? They're they're seeking the Messiah, okay? And this star that these wise men saw from the east, it led them as they followed it all the way to where Jesus, the newborn king, was. So now this long journey had come to an end. They were now exactly where the star was leading them to be. And verse 10 says, when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, now notice that's very important there. Jesus is not in a stable, in a manger. He's living in a house with his mom and his dad here, right, at this point in time. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So very definitely three different gifts that are listed here, but that's where people come up with the story that there must have been three wise men, but that doesn't mean there was three wise men just because there was three different kinds of gifts there. There could have been 12 different people given gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? So 
The story of the wise men continues, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Remember, Herod said, hey, come back and tell me where where he is because I want to worship him too. But they were warned by God in a dream. They departed for their own country another way. So they're taking the long way home because they're not going to go back and tell Herod where this baby is because God warned them not to, right? Now, when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. That's why I called Herod a liar. His kingdomship in his mind was now being threatened, and he wanted the child dead. It wasn't convenient for Herod that this child should live. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. This is a quote, Matthew's quoting from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. But again, just prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament that was fulfilled about Jesus Christ. Verse 20, uh, verse 16, uh, verse 26, right? No, 16, sorry. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were born in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which we had, he had determined from the wise men. Then, what, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, here's another thing in Jeremiah, another prophecy. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. So, Are you seeing this morning how much of the Old Testament ties into the New Testament, right? That is why it's important to understand the scriptures from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God's plan unfolds from the beginning of the Bible all the way till the end of the Bible. Here we see that the prophet Jeremiah spoke of a time when many very young children of Israel they would be slain, they would be slaughtered, right? If they were children of Israel, this is referring back to Rachel. Jacob was married to Rachel. Jacob's name became Israel. So it's just kind of referring back all these children of Israel all the way back to Rachel and referring to her here that, you know, the, the, the children are being slaughtered and killed and it's horrific. And all, all those babies killed because it wasn't convenient for one selfish person. You know, just it makes me think of today, millions of babies are slaughtered. Still, it's legal in our country. And it's in the name of convenience. And we call it abortion, right? It's inconvenient for me to have a child right now. And the answer for people is still to repent, and to turn their lives over to 
the one that brings everlasting righteousness. Jesus is the answer. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So time and time again, Matthew points us back to the Old Testament books. He points us back to how all of this was prophetically spoken of. And you see, it all adds up. God, God's plan unfolds right? Just as the Word of God, the Bible, says it will. It takes a, a lifetime of study to know the Word of God. We, we, we need to study it for all of our days. So what, with whatever time we have left, we should desire to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God more and more, because the prophetic time clock is still ticking. There are still biblical events written about that have yet to happen. And of course, the primary one that we eagerly await is for the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we must understand the importance of seeking Him now, loving Him now, serving Him now. The time came when Daniel realized that he needed to repent, not just for himself, again, but for his nation as well. What he needed to repent of was the fact that he that they didn't serve the Lord right blessed is the 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 nations whose God is the Lord the Bible says again please read Daniel chapter 9 this week read it all in its context and keep in mind what we've talked about today but I believe that we must ask ourselves are we truly serving the Lord in the way that we should are there things that we need to repent of. Because in a sense, if we're not careful, we can be liars as well when we say that we worship the Lord. Are we living each day to make life convenient for ourselves? Or are we truly surrendered to the Lord, following the Lord where He may lead us, taking up the cross, dying to ourselves and seeking His will? The wise men were wise enough to follow the star that led them to whom they desire to worship. Today, the Holy Spirit will lead us to worship Jesus, the Messiah, the living God. Don't be unwise and seek your own convenience. Instead, be wise and fear the Lord, reverence the Lord. Right? Give all your might and all that you have and all your finest belongings, everything about us, give it all to the Lord just as we see that the wise men did. Because again, the prophetic time clock is still ticking. Jesus is coming again. Right? The wise men, they studied the Word. This is how they knew. They understood the times that they were living in. 
right? Do we understand the times that we are living in? Do we understand that it's getting closer and closer? And we need to seek the Lord with all of our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. It is a living word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts asunder. It gets deep within us, Lord. It speaks truth, but yet it speaks life. It speaks forgiveness. It speaks hope, Lord. And there is hope and there is forgiveness in you, God. And God, I pray for all of us here that we would seek you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray for this nation, God, that is moving further and further and further away. God, the laws that have been made in regards to marriage, the laws that have been made in regards to abortion and all of this stuff, Lord, that just is anti-God, anti-Christ. God, this nation needs to repent. I pray for revival in this nation, God, for eyes to be open, whatever it may take, God. And God, of course, it's your gospel that needs to go forth, God. Send workers into the field, Lord, with the gospel here in America. Lord, we don't need to be sending missionaries to other countries. We need to be sending missionaries to our own neighborhoods, God. God, pray your will to be done, Lord, in this country and in our lives here as individuals. And we thank you again for your holy word. In Jesus' name.